Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. How would you characterize a life lived by faith? Is it easy to find in our world? Common? Expected? Or perhaps too undefined and untested? In chapter 5, Luke records the point in Jesus' ministry where he now confronts the boundaries of the religious elite. We will see today how the faith of a few friends provides one of the most defining moments of contrast between those who fool themselves by keeping a set of rules and those who pursue the person of Jesus Christ by faith. Thanks for joining us today. I got an email this past week from an old co-worker of mine. When I served overseas as a missionary, we worked at a school, and it was a boarding school, which means that part of my job uh, in being in charge of the campus was overseeing the dorms. We had a girls' dorm, and we had a boys' dorm, and the boys' dorm parent was a good friend of mine. His name was Dale, and uh, we worked together uh, for a few years. Uh, One thing that I always really struggled with Dale, though, is that his heart was always drawn somewhere else. Dale wanted to be a missionary. And here I was, a missionary to his people. And for for the life of me, I just, I couldn't quite figure out the the disjointedness between the mission work that God had called me to serving right then and there, but then him being in the same location with the same people thinking, I want to be a missionary somewhere else. You see what I mean? It just seems like you could do it right here. But he, he continually just felt God's call upon his life. And, and we would have conversations, and I'd always encourage him towards training because that was the path that I walked, and I was teaching pastors, and that was the role that I was in. Uh, but Dale loved the gospel, and he and his wife, and she was from Mexico. Uh, they felt like God was calling them to Mexico. And so without giving his boss here much warning, he turns in his two-week notice saying, we're leaving, we're going to go be missionaries in Mexico. And I'm thinking... Well, first of all, you could be missionary here. So let me try to talk you out of it. Second of all, you don't have any training. So how, what, what is it you're going to do? And he, he just continually believed God was leading him by faith and he was going to go. It's shameful upon my part that I didn't look at that with more faith, even closer to the measure of faith that he had. He was willing to give up his entire familiarity to his home, a place that I had gone to to invest, such to go to a people that he didn't even know. And, um, and they did it. He did it. And he, sent me, he sends out an email once a month, and I'm on the email channel. I just want to read to you a, a few pieces of what he and his family, what his wife was doing uh, this past month serving in Mexico. He says, Mid-last year, two missionary friends and I set out on an unknown exploration trip into the mountains of Veracruz, Mexico. Our objective was to locate and make contact with a small group of indigenous people who who spoke the language of Otomi. We didn't have much information to guide us in finding the people group. All we had was the name of the group and the region where they were located. Uh, He sent a picture here of the the journey that he took uh, into the mountains there, uh, deep into the heart of Mexico. He says, we didn't have much to go on, but we had the will. And above all else, we had the Lord to trust in and to guide us. We fasted a few days before the journey to prepare our minds and our spirits for the task ahead. And we really felt the peace about the journey that we were about to embark on. He talks here about uh, his journey on bus and as he gets there and... Uh, on the next page, he says, It seemed like it took forever to get there, but when we finally arrived at the location we were searching for, it was a small town located in the clouds that foreigners never reach. After speaking to a few people, we verified that we were in the right location among the Atami people, a group 
of about 4,000 people. We asked them if there were any Christians or if there was a Christian church in the area. And everyone said that there was not. Not satisfied with that answer, we went to the Mexican Catholic Church Tower and asked the priest if we could climb up it, and they gave us permission to do so. When we reached the top of the four-story tower, we prayed. We prayed that the Lord would guide us to meet at least one person who confessed to be a Christian in this small community. We prayed fervently. We felt assured that the Lord did not bring us this way and this far to find a group of people without beginning to start a ministry among them. After praying for about 30 minutes or so, we were hungry. <laughs> it's, it makes me chuckle, yeah. <laughs> Jesus fasted 40 days and he was hungry. You 30 minutes and you're hungry. <clears throat> I mean, you must be working hard praying. like that. <clears throat> so he was hungry. So they went out to search for food. He sat down on the side of the road as my two companions crossed the road to talk to someone. A woman came and sat next to me and asked me the following question. Are you a Christian? told her yes and we had come to investigate about translating the bible into the atami language she told me that she was a christian and that in the whole community there were 12 she also told me that they had started a small church she fed us and called all the other brothers and sisters in the faith to come and to meet with us we later found out that the pastor had left them and they were on the verge of giving up because they had no one left to guide them in the faith so for the rest of our time there, we encouraged them and had Bible studies with them. And using the book of Acts and Hebrews, we compared them to the first church and told them how to trust in the Lord. We had an extraordinary time with them, and they filled us with Jesus' love with open arms. They were exceedingly thankful to the Lord and knew that it wasn't an accident that we had come, but that God had sent us to them in their moment of despair. When we left, we were in awe of the Lord for giving us the privilege of finding the people groups leading us to the Christians in the community and for using us to restore a church under depression and turmoil. And right there and then, we became the first people to start a Bible translation project with this people group. Isn't our God awesome? How cool is that? I, I, I get these and I think, praise God. I am so proud of Dale. I mean, I, I should have done more when I was together with him. Uh, for the ministry that he was able to be a part of and for reaching these peoples. I look at his face and I'm just like, he's doing it. You're doing it. And I barely had enough faith to even go where I was going. And that was to his people. And he trusted God to go. And I remember by the time he was going, I thought, well, you don't, I mean, you don't have a church. You don't have a sending group. You don't have funds. How are you going to do it? What was lacking in my life that he had abundance of? What was it? It was faith. And Dale had faith. Boy, our lives, sometimes they, they run into those same moments. And God speaks to you. And wherever you are at, in your workplace, in your community, maybe in your family, and you hear that little, still, small voice of God speaking, and how do you respond? How do I respond? Where does faith play a central role in our lives? Does it have a role at all? I mean, Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. But you and I, we live in a world where it's like, yeah, you show me and I'll believe it, right? I mean, we live by sight for the most part. Rarely do we live by faith. It makes me think of the way that faith causes us to depend on God, to rely on Him, as if we're reaching up to heaven, holding His hand to carry us through whatever we're facing. So I wonder what you're facing today. What are you facing this week? What's in your future that God wants you to reach out and grab His hand? Uh, my little daughter, she's three years old. She's afraid of snow. UP's a bad place to live if you're afraid of snow. 
we walk outside and as soon as she sees snow, she starts stomping her little boots like this and fussing. She can't move. And she reaches her hand up like this to me. And so I just reach my hand down and I grab it. And guess what she can do then? She can walk through the snow, right? And going down the stairs, same thing uh, the other day. And this was the worst. She took her coat off like little kids do. Took it off, right? And uh, left it there. And I said, honey, you got to pick up your coat. And she said, I can't. <laughs> and so I did like I've seen the pattern in her life. When she's having a hard time with something, I grabbed her hand and we picked up her coat. And sure enough, guess what I found out? She can pick up her coat. <laughs> It's funny though sometimes like our, our lives they're filled with I almost think it's fear above all else to think I'm not equipped I'm not able to do it or, or it's too hard or the task is more demanding and unfortunately you know what I think we're really good at I think we're really good at reaching in our bag of excuses to come up reasons why we say to God I can't I can't do this thing when all the while your heavenly father is right there with his hand out to you right he's ready He's there. That's what he wants his people to be. People who are not afraid, but people who have courage. Did you hear our reading today from the New Testament? I have it up here on the screen. Hebrews 10, it says, So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. And then he quotes some passages of the Old Testament. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And by my righteous one, uh, my righteous one will live by, what's it say? Will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we don't belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. But to those who have faith and are saved. Is that you today? Where, where are you at in that one? That's, that needs to be where we are. And all of us are on a journey somewhere of trying to make sure that we're holding on to our confidence. That God has left you here. He's left you on earth. And some of you have lost loved ones, right? And they're called home, right? Their task has been finished. But God's left you here. I wonder sometimes when we're saved, why not, why not God just pull us out of this mess? What a mess. I mean, I, you can't even turn on the TV without just feeling like oppressed by temptation and materialism and drawn away. Why are we left in this mess? He has a purpose for you. And this is what he wants to say to his church. Don't let go of your confidence in him. Put your dependency, put your faith in him and learn to live by faith. That's what I'm entitling this message, Live by Faith. We're continuing in uh, Luke's gospel. I'd like you to turn there with me. We're going <clears> to <throat> be we're gonna be in chapter 5, but... I want to highlight for you a little bit that comes earlier in chapter 4. Because if you remember from last week, we finished up the temptations of Jesus. And how he has done what we could never do. Even in the wilderness for 40 days starving, he says no to the temptation. Where Adam and Eve and you and I, we live in the bountiful garden of plenty and give in all the time. And that was last week, but we're going we're gonna to continue on. Uh, I, I'd like to just pull out some highlights. So if you have your Bibles in chapter 4, in verse 14... Uh, Jesus now goes to Nazareth. Now, do you know Jesus' hometown? It was Nazareth. Right? And, and so he goes there and he, he reads in the scroll in the, in the book of Isaiah, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover of sight for the blind and to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, he reads this and it says that everybody... Um, everybody's really impressed by him. 
Like Jesus comes and he's in his hometown and he, he, he's, he's reading the word of God and they're all like, yeah, that's our Jesus. That's our guy. They're, they, they're really impressed with that. But then I want you to see what he says after this. Uh, down to verse 24, he says, I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that many widows in Israel were in Israel during Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Verse 26, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. So this is the problem with the Jewish people. They like their people. And Jesus is saying, hey, you remember in Elijah's day? Y'all had no food and the prophet didn't go to you. He didn't go to your people. Instead, look what it says. He went to a widow in Zephyrath in the region of Sion. Verse 27. And there were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha, the prophet. Right? So again, our own people were sick. And look what Jesus shows them. Yet not one of them was cleansed. Only Naaman the Syrian. The Syrian. Now, if you were Jewish, you would have been like, probably like them look with the response verse 28 all the people in the synagogue were what's it say they're furious when they heard this jesus is starting now in his ministry to reveal god's plan and you know what that's going to do for the people it's going to cause them to challenge what they think we should be doing you you ought to be coming to our people to the jewish people and here jesus is showing you know what god's plan is for far greater than just the jewish people and you're going to see that this becomes a pattern that gets taught throughout the New Testament. Even as the apostles, they'll go to the Jews first and they'll offer the gospel to them. And the Jews, they stumble over this one, this one of their own, Yeshua, who was crucified. And they say, I don't, I don't want anything to do with him. But God's plan is larger than the people of Israel. And so then the apostles, they go to the Gentiles. That's us. Amen? That's us. You wouldn't be here today if that God's plan had not been for all the nations. All right, so that's in... Uh, this part, uh, if, you, if you jump over to verse 31, there's another section Luke records for us. He says, Then he went down to, to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he began to teach the people, and they were amazed at his teaching because in his message he had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, and cried out at the top of his voice, Ha, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Uh, you got to... Put yourself in the setting. Jesus is in the synagogue. He's teaching. It looks like it is right now. And then someone stands up. I'll pick on Mike. Like if Mike were to stand up and say, Oh, what do you want with us? I mean, how hard would that be to preach? That'd be hard if you had someone shouting out in the middle of the service. That's what's going on. That's what's happening right here. Look what Jesus says. Verse 35. He says, Be quiet. Come out of him. And the demon threw the man down and came out without injuring him. And look at the response. All the people are amazed. There's something unique about this teacher. There's something unique about him. You can interrupt him. And guess what? He has authority to keep going. It's amazing. There's something unique about Jesus. This is what Luke is beginning to show us. Towards the end of the chapter, you have Jesus now healing uh, Simon. This will be Peter, eventually Peter, uh, and his mother-in-law. Verse 38, she has a high fever. They asked Jesus to help her. So he bends over and rebukes the fever and it left her. And she got up at once, began to wait on them. Look at this guy. It's amazing. He can heal people. And that's what brings us into chapter 5. I'd like you to look with me starting in verse 1 of chapter 5. Helen, where are we at? 1597. Page 1597. 
One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gisenaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water. Let's let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, we'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat, come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on the shore and left, what's it say? Left everything. And what? Followed him. It's awesome. It's amazing. We're going to come back to that. All right, verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And Jesus ordered him, Don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came near him to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I have a picture up here back from this time uh, of Jesus healing. Uh, this was taken with a... With an old camera. Maybe this is how it would look today, right? If you were to come to Jesus today, you might bring your, uh, bring your, you see the guy in the end, bring your, some of you are going to get this later on this evening, you don't understand. Yeah, the, the people, they see this one who can fix all their problems and they start coming out to Jesus. And continually they do this because they're desiring to live a life by faith, coming to him, listening. Here's one that we can turn to. Here's one whose hand we can grab hold of. Primary teaching for this morning is found in the next story. Look with me now in verse 17. One day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law, who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, were sitting there. Uh, I want you to see the setting, first of all. See how Luke's, Luke kind of sets the stage. All right, We already know that here's this guy who's doing healing. The crowds are coming like endlessly. In, even in uh, this story right here, it's where Jesus heals the paralytic. Your Bible might say that. But it's repeated in Matthew's gospel. It's repeated in Mark's gospel. And when Mark records this, he says that the crowds are so heavy that there's not even room to get in the house where Jesus is. You can't even get through the door. Not only that, it's so crowded outside the door. Like, packed shoulder to shoulder. And everybody's just craning their ears to listen to what Jesus is saying. There's no room at all. And the people, Luke tells us here in verse 17, the people who are there are Pharisees 
and teachers of the law. We've got to pay attention to that because Jesus now does something really unique in this passage. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Verse 18. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to think to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them. He took what he had been lying on and he went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and they gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and they said, we have seen remarkable things today. It's a pretty cool story, isn't it? Luke is really working here to show us something about Jesus. Remember that as we started our study in Luke, it begins by him telling the church, look, the reason I'm writing these things to you is so that you may have a confidence in the things that you've been taught. So these are Christians who are reading this. He wants them to know the story of Jesus, where Jesus came from, who he really is, and how his ministry unfolds before them. And at this stage, Jesus really kind of In essence, he shows his cards. You familiar with kind of that poker metaphor where you're like, bam, here's what I got, right? This is what's on the line. That's kind of what this story is about. So remember the setting. You've got Pharisees. You've got teachers of the law. These aren't people who are coming, you know, to really be edified and to learn. These are the people who sit in the back and they're like, yeah, teach me something. Let's see what this guy's all about, right? Go on, impress me, right? And so they're listening real closely. The beauty of this story gets contrasted, though, with these teachers of the law, these Pharisees, with these four buddies, with a beat-up friend. Did you see what it was in the story? They had a man who was paralyzed, and they were going to bring him to Jesus. And so as they're walking in, looking, what they see is that there's no way into the house. There's no way to get in. Now, I don't know about you, but if that was me, I might say, hey, man, I'm not real sorry. There's no way we can get in here. You know, I might be thinking it's going to be too hard. Maybe we'll catch Jesus on his way out. All right, we'll, we'll hang out here. We'll let him finish. The crowd's going to go. It's getting late. The crowd's will go away. And then we'll catch him. Or maybe I would have thought this. Maybe you would have thought this. Like, I don't want to cause a scene. Is that you? I'm kind of like that. Like, shh, right? When your kids are making, would you be quiet in church, right? You know how you feel as a parent, right? We don't want to make a scene. We don't want to disrupt anybody, right? So if we were going to try to work through there, you know, like a big crowd, excuse me. Excuse me, trying to sweep. You know, rather than go through all that, we'll just wait for next time. Is that what they do? You got to watch what these guys do, church. You got to see this because we need to take a lesson from it. They see that it's going to be difficult. They see that it's going to be hard. And what do they say? Uh uh-uh, uh, this is going to happen. This guy can heal. And so they carry their buddy up on the roof 
in Matthew's gospel, it says they start to like remove the roof, like to dig through it. Now in that day, you've kind of in your house, you had a flat top and a flat roof and it wasn't very high off the ground. They were pretty, pretty low, but with sticks and mud and straw, sometimes you had tiles that were really nice. <clears throat> it says they, they remove all of these. This is what it says in verse 19. Look at what it says. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him in his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being the guys in the crowd, you know, who showed up early? We got here on time. <laughs> like, you should have you planned ahead. I'm sorry. But now look what they're doing. Can you believe the gall? Can you believe what they're doing? And, and they don't care. They are lowering their buddy right down because they believe Jesus. They believe Jesus has the power of the Lord on him to heal. What do we call that? There's one word. Do you know what that is? What's that called? It's called faith. It's beautiful. That's what faith. And so here Jesus is watching this. Can you imagine Jesus? I'm thinking he's just smiling like, first of all, these guys have no clue what's about to happen. It's going to be awesome, but I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait. Yeah. Finish what you're doing. All right. And everybody here, they're, they're now watching. I mean, you get, I mean, the, the tension is heightened. What's going to, what's Jesus going to do? Is he going to kick them out? Is he going to scold them? Right. You got some guys in the crowd who'll be like, man, they messed up the roof. They in trouble. That's going to cost us. You know, that's what some of them are thinking. But here's what Jesus says. He looks to the guy and he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, that's nice. That's great. But what did they come here for? Can you imagine being the guy getting hauled around? Don't drop me! Ah, don't drop me! Right? You know, and you're kind of worried and you get down there and there you're before Jesus and he says... Your sins are forgiven? I'm not sure that's... I don't know if you know why we came. We came so that you can heal me. That's what we came for. But see, Jesus doesn't... He doesn't shirk off on this. He's not, he's not trying to, to do an end around and you know, not heal the guy. He's doing this particularly, not for them, but for who? For the Pharisees. Jesus is doing this to show who he really is. There's a really cool verse. If you back up a, a few pages, back in chapter 2. Go back there with me. Chapter 2, verse uh, 35. You remember Simeon in the temple and little baby Jesus is coming, right? And Simeon is speaking to Mary. Chapter 2, verse 35. Well, starting 34. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the, the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. Verse 35, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Luke told us ahead of time, the thoughts of your hearts are going to be revealed. Jump back to chapter 5 now because you see what happens? Jesus says, your son, your, Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. And what do the Pharisees start to do? Mm-mm. Mm, we got them now. Mm-mm. Who is this? Who is this? They call him fellow. I kind of feel like that's the G-rated version of what Luke is recording. Who is this Fellow. Who's blaspheming against God. Because who can forgive sins except who? God alone. Now, now here's the deal of how sin works. I want to make sure I just explain this, right? If, um, if, if I were to do something against Lee, right? If I were to sin against Lee, right? I'm actually sinning against two people. I'm sinning against him. Like if I start uh, uh, gossip, let's say I, I gossip about him, right? I sin against Lee, but I also sin against Lee's maker. Because he's made in the image of God. So there, there is a sin against God that's been committed, but there's also been a sin against my brother that has been committed. Now, let's say the Spirit convicts me and I repent before God. I can go to Lee and I can say, man, I, I shouldn't have said that. I'm really sorry. Can you, could you find in your heart to forgive me? And what could he do? 
He, come on, good Christian man like Lee, what would he do? He would he'd forgive me. That's right. But let's say now, I have done this thing against Lee, right? But then Mike comes and says, I forgive you for Lee. Does that work? I didn't, I didn't sin against Mike over here. It was against Lee. What authority does he have, right? Do, do you catch the problem here? Because that's essentially what Jesus is showing. Jesus is showing that he has authority to forgive sins. He can't do that. You, you can't do that. God alone does that. That you're going to step in the middle of our business and say that you can forgive sins? You can't do that. So Jesus, look what it, it's a, it's a fulfillment of chapter 2, verse 35. Jesus says, why are you thinking these things? Simeon had it right. The, the thoughts of hearts are going to be revealed. And he says, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or say get up and walk? So here's what that means. I want to explain that real quickly too. If Jesus, or if somebody says, your sins are forgiven, is there any way to prove that? No, so it's, that's actually really easy to say. Your sins are forgiven. The harder thing to say would be, yeah, I'm going to miraculously heal you because you could what? You could disprove that or you could prove that, right? You could test that. So that stakes are a little bit higher at that point, right? So that's what Jesus means when he says this. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or take up your mat and walk. And then look what he says. But, verse 24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. What's that mean? What does it mean when Jesus says, so that you will know that the Son of Man, and that's one of his favorite titles for himself, that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. What is he saying? What's the cards he's showing? Me and God? We're the same. We're the same. We're the same in our essence, not the same in person. Remember, the Father and the Son are distinct in their person and their function, but they are one God. And Jesus and the Father are united as one. That's what he means. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Look what he says. I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. You see, if he can prove the harder, then the easier one has to be true as well. That Jesus does have authority to forgive sins. And it's beautiful. The man gets up. The man gets up. My dad had ALS, and for years he was in a, a sling, and he was paralyzed. Not years, months. It was, felt like years. Man, how we would have longed to have that day where he got up, right? That day's going to come. That day's going to come. It's not till judgment day. It's not till Jesus returns and resurrection happens. That day's going to come, but that happened for this dude right now. That happened right now. And it was the basis from their faith that they had placed in Jesus for the purpose of proving Jesus is God. And look at the response. He went home, what's your Bible say? Praising God. And everyone was amazed and what? Gave praise to God. There's a few things I want us to see just as we kind of wrap up this message. Number one is this. Jesus is God. That's it. Jesus is God. There's a lot of people in our world who aren't cool with that. There's a lot of really smart people. A lot of people who teach in universities and they think, oh, the story of Jesus, you, you quaint little Christians believe in your fairy tale. That's what they think because they have rejected Jesus as God. He did the harder. Take up your mat and walk. If he can forgive sins, then who is he? Go ahead, church. Who is he? He is? Yeah. Otherwise, he can't forgive sins. And that was the easier of the two things to say. 
So number one, Jesus is God. Number two is this. Faith is found in who he is, not what he can do for you. This is a, this is a big confusion in our world today. There are a lot of people who think, yeah, you, you're not healed because you don't have enough faith. Well, they've misplaced their faith. We don't place our faith in what Jesus can do for us. We place our faith in who he is. This is what Luke tells us as he starts out. He says in verse 17, the power of the Lord was present with him. Because that's who he is. He's the Lord. It's not just that he was a really, really good doctor and could heal someone like that. That, that wasn't it. He is God. And so your and my faith needs to be placed not in what we get from him. That's not it. It's not chasing after the gift. It's receiving the giver. It's who he is. And that's the, that's the center of our faith. Not what he can do for us, but who he is. This passage here shows us he is God. Number three is this. The root of our problem is sin. That's, that's the root of it. And Jesus helps us to see that. Because what does he say to the paralyzed man, right? First thing, your sins are forgiven. There are a lot of people today who long for healing and they'll go and try to find a faith preach, preacher or you know, go through whatever needs to be done to get healing. I mean, how many people here are going to chiropractors? How many people here are going back to chiropractors? Yeah, yeah, because guess what? Everyone who has ever been healed still dies. That's the truth of it. Like healing and what we would chase after, man, my problems, pastor, my problems. Look, you're going to get your problems fixed, but you're going to get new problems. And the greatest problem on mankind is death. Which means the greatest solution is forgiveness of sin because the wages of sin is death. So what's the root of your problem? Sin. That's the root of our problems. And Jesus did this guy a favor saying your sins are forgiven, but that's not what he was expecting. We came here not for that. We came here to get healed. But that's what we need to see. The center and the, the conclusion of it is that the, the root of our problem is sin. Number four is this. You need to act now. You need, you need to act now. Uh, I really do feel like that this story is showing us that faith looks like answer the call now. Answer the call. Jesus is speaking to you. He's telling you to go. He was telling Dale to go. And look at the amazing story that we got to celebrate. Give God glory for that he's doing to these people. who This dying church that now is going to have the Bible. How awesome is that? That is awesome. And Dale went. Well, what if he waited? What does God have planned for you? Why are you waiting? Why am I waiting? Where, where is fear holding us captive that we would not learn to walk in faith? It, it may be lost on you, but i got to point it out. This paralyzed guy, he didn't come to Jesus by himself. Do you realize that? His buddies carried him there. And they could have easily stood at the back of the crowd. Man, we'll do this another time. Right? We'll catch Jesus on the way out. How about this one? Well, it's a sign that it wasn't meant to be. I hear that from people sometimes, right? Heck with that, man. We're going on the roof. Right, that's no, just because the crowd's here, just because we thought we came on time, but that's not a sign that it wasn't meant to be. Where's your faith? Go up there. Bust through the roof. That is faith, which shows us you need to act now. I, I, was, I was trying to preach this to myself, right? And I'm trying to think through the ways that I have excuses. So I'm not going to ask you to give me your excuses. I'm going to give you mine. Like, here we go. Uh, number, this is one that I've said I don't have enough money. I've said that before. Um, over on, on the mission field, we needed a van for the school. And I just, I, 
Couldn't do it. That was my excuse. I didn't have enough money. The Lord convicted me of that one. Here's another one. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. Sometimes I think about this when it comes to serving neighbors. Um, I uh, Catch me after the service. I'll tell you the whole story. But that was the excuse, right? My, I had a neighbor who I could have helped and I didn't because I felt like I didn't have enough what? Yeah, that was a valid excuse. Not enough time. Sorry, couldn't do it. Here's another one. Uh, I don't have enough ability. That was my excuse to Lake Ellen when they wanted me to come and to preach to kids. Ah, kids. I can't do that. Right? I can't do it. But eventually, you know what? God captured my heart on that too. And I went and by faith did it. Um, here's one that I go to a lot. Uh, somebody else will take care of it. Do you ever think that? Someone else will do it. Someone's got that in the church, right? Someone, someone will take care of it. Or, or this, this is one that I run into a lot when it comes to wanting to share the good news. They're too busy. I don't want to interrupt, right? I don't want to, I don't want to butt in. I don't want to make a scene, right? Just let them do their thing. They're having a good day. I'm having a good day. We'll just go our separate ways. What if the four buddies believed those things? What would have happened? We would have lost this whole story. That poor guy would have died a paralyzed man. There'd be no glory given to God. This is, the, this is what you got to take away from it. Church, act. Now, you have the opportunity. Who knows what tomorrow holds? I'll do it later. You don't know you have later. These guys, they show us. What does faith look like? Faith looks like responding to the call. That's what faith looks like. The excuses. And you and I, we got buckets of them. I got, I got more than you got probably. But we got to learn here that we need to act now. Lastly is this. Forgiveness of sins is the hardest. I, you don't know this. Uh, they didn't know this. Jesus knew this. When he said, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or take up your mat and walk? It seems like the easier one, and I've already told you, is your sins are forgiven. Because you can't check it, you can't prove it. But for Jesus, that was the hardest. Because in order for your sins to be forgiven, what has to happen to Jesus? When Jesus says your sins are forgiven, he has authority to do that because he knows he will pay for his sins. That's actually the much harder. So I want to end on that as, as our conclusion that you and I would once again see that when Jesus says at the end of Matthew, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he says to his disciples, therefore, go make disciples. He calls us. That's what he calls us to do. That you can trust him. You can trust him because not only can he do the miracles of healing, but he has done the harder thing of all, which is pay for your sins. I also want you to know this today. And this will be, I'm, I'm wrapping up, all right? Listen now. I don't know how you look at yourself, but I would imagine that some of you out here think that you're pretty crummy because you're aware of sin. I want you to know something this morning. If you claim the blood of Jesus Christ... God doesn't see you as flawed. He sees you as perfect. He sees you as spotless. Not because of you, but because he sees his son covering you. That's a change of how we think. And if you and I, we begin to think, boy, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's true. But don't demean and devalue what Jesus has accomplished. He has paid for your sins, past, current, future, and he does it because he loves you. I just have a couple of questions that I, I want to encourage you to just examine. Uh, number one, where do you look for help? All right, my little girl, she reaches the snowbank and nope, I'm done, right? Until she looks for help, right? Where do you look for help? What are you facing today that you need to reach and look for help? 
These four dudes, they, get, they knew where to go. And nothing was going to stop them from getting there. They were getting to Jesus. Number two is this. Have you addressed the root of your troubles? Some of us in here, we're still kind of in denial on that one. The world makes it really easy to justify sin. Well, other people are worse than me. That doesn't mean you're okay. Right? Sin is there. Don't, don't put it away. Deal with it. Come and find forgiveness at the foot of Calvary. Right? Come and find forgiveness by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the only way that you and I do that is by recognizing sin. You've got to address the root problem. Don't chase after healing. Don't chase after fix my problems, dear Lord. You're going to have more problems. The root problem is sin. Amen? The root problem is sin. You've got to deal with it. Number three is this. What are you willing to risk to bring someone to Jesus? What are you willing to risk to bring someone to Christ? That's a tough one for us. Right? Because that, that may mean that you look like a Christian at work. Ooh, God forbid you look like a Christian at work. Right? Uh, and, and people might start saying that. Right? You might get pigeonholed into a stereotype. You willing to risk that? There's more people in Mexico. Anybody ready? Anyone, anyone want to go? What, what are you willing to risk? To give up all. To give up a little. To give up anything. Because when you do, it's faith. That's faith. The Bible says you can't please God without faith. These four guys, they were willing to risk it all. To help bring someone to Christ. And lastly, what are you waiting for? Right? Evaluate your heart with that. As the Spirit speaks to you and I. Don't delay on this thing. And, and I'm not so naive to think maybe that there's somebody here who really never has fully trusted God. It's pretty easy to go to church, you know. It's pretty easy. You just come and you sit and that's cool, right? But to let Jesus take over the control of your life, put him in the driver's seat of your life, that's a hard thing to do. What are you waiting for? I want to remind you again of the verse from Hebrews. Don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. So that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Pay attention to verse 37. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come. And he will not delay. And but my righteous one will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back, but we don't belong to those who shrink back. So what are you waiting for today? Don't shrink back. The, the church is not the pastor. You are the church. If we're going to make a difference in Segola, in the UP, it's going to happen because of you. What are you waiting for? It says he's coming. Did you catch that in verse 3? He's coming. Do you ever invite someone over to your house and you're like showing up at 5 and it's like, Almost five, and so you're kind of looking around and you're waiting. You know, like you do that busy dance where you don't know what to do with yourself. Like, should I stand here? Should I wait? Should I sit down and read? And you're waiting, and you don't know when they're going to come. But guess what? They're coming. That's Jesus right now. Jesus is coming. When is he going to show up? Anybody know? No. Angels don't even know. The Father knows, but he's coming. He's coming. So don't wait. Don't wait. Church, bust through the roof. Amen? Amen. Bust through the roof. Let's pray.